The U.S. is done. The witch hunt is on. And you and me are part of the hunt. Me Too bullshit revealed and kidnapped by a self-driving car. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. <sighs> so much going on. I cannot believe. I thought it was going to be a slow day. It's a Thursday. Good morning. Nice to have you along for the ride. A couple of bits of show business here. There is a follow button right down over there. If you wouldn't mind, please give that a hit and it helps out the show and it's free for you to do. Also, if you don't have a Rumble account, sign up for one. It's absolutely free. It's easy to do. And that way you'll be able to take part and make comments, uh, take part in the live chat, which is open. We're watching the live chat over here. So anything you want to say, you can pop in there. And of course, you can also follow the show. And also, by the way, we've just opened, reopened up our Locals channel. And uh, I will be uh, posting some subscriber-only content, kind of a behind-the-scenes sort of stuff when a thought crosses my mind. And that will be exclusive over on Locals. There's a button there that says Join, little red button. You can join up over there, and you will get exclusive behind-the-scenes Jay Sheldon Show videos. I post uh, probably once a day, once every couple days. So uh, we'll give you some extra content over there on Locals if you want to sign up. All right, that's it for that. We got most of our uh, business. What is beeping? Are you hearing? I'm hearing beeping. I don't know why I'm hearing beeping, but I'm hearing beeping. I don't know. Nothing going on out here that I see. Okay, beeps are fine. We'll live with the beeps, no problem. All right, our <laughs> let's just move on with the important stuff, huh? Like Blackout Coffee, one of our great sponsors. Be awake, not woke. Get some coffee with some values. Blackout Coffee, and yes, Mr. Dan Mongino has his own blend of blackout coffee over there. Folks, if uh, you love coffee as much as I do, you will appreciate blackout coffee, not just because it is an amazing cup of coffee, but because this company is an American company. And you know we got to do everything we can to help support the folks who support our conservative values, hard work, personal responsibility, family, respect, American values. That's one of the two things this company's all about. The second, making good coffee. Blackout coffee is roasted, packed, and shipped with lightning speed. Usually from the time you place your order, 24 to 48 hours, it's roasted and shipped out. Another few days to get to your front door, and there it is, fresh roasted bag of beans right at your doorstep, ready to make you the most incredible cup of coffee you ever had. Now look, if you're not a big coffee fan, that's okay. They Check out the site too because they've got uh, great hot cocoa flavors, some teas over there, very nice stuff. But uh, look, coffee is their mainstay. Just pick up yourself a single bag of beans. You don't have to go spend a fortune. These are very reasonably priced. And once you do try it out, you will be back for more because it's just that good. Throw away that crap brown water junk you've been uh, drinking. Get yourself a real 
American cup of coffee from Blackout Coffee. And when you check out, be sure you use our promo code J20. J-A-Y-20. That's the promo code. It will get you 20% off your first order at Blackout Coffee. J20 is the promo code for 20% off your first order at Blackout Coffee. All right. Let's see. The witch hunt has begun. This story broke today, and it should scare the hell out of you. It was an exclusive from Newsweek, and it has to do with the FBI and MAGA. Target. You and me. And I'm not kidding. This is from Newsweek. Exclusive. Donald Trump followers have been targeted by the FBI as election 2024 gets closer and closer. You knew this was going to happen. You knew in the back of your mind, in your heart of hearts, you knew this was going to happen. The federal government believes the threat of violence, major civil disturbances around the next election is so great that they have quiet, quietly not so quiet anymore because we found out and we're talking about it and we're going to keep talking about it. They have quietly created a new category of extremists. And you know what that is? Me. You. They're seeking to track and counter Donald Trump's army of MAGA followers. Now the challenges for the FBI is to pursue and prevent what it calls domestic terrorism without any direct reference to political parties or affiliations because they're not supposed to do that. Even though a vast majority of its current anti-government investigations are of Trump supporters, according to classified data which was obtained by Newsweek, the FBI is an almost in an almost impossible position, says a former, I'm sorry, a current FBI official, <clears throat> who is anonymous, of course. The official said the FBI is intent on stopping domestic terrorism and any repeat of the January 6th incident, but the Bureau has to also preserve our constitutional rights. All Americans have a right to campaign, to speak freely, to protest the government. That is our God-given right. You cannot screw with that, FBI. By focusing on former President Trump and his Make America Great Again supporters, the official said the Bureau runs a very real risk of provoking the very anti-government activists that the terrorism agencies hope to counter. Especially at a time when the White House is facing congressional Republican opposition, claiming the Biden administration has weaponized the Bureau. Well, it's not a claim. It's an absolute freaking fact. Are you kidding me? It has to tread very carefully. Here's an idea. Why don't you just shut down the stupid operation and don't tread there 
at all. Stop mucking around in things that are A, ridiculous, and B, you have no business mucking around in. You want to get worried you're going to not tread carefully enough? Well, here's a suggestion. Don't go there. Morons. Newsweek spoke to over a dozen current or former government, uh, government officials who specialize in terrorism. Three-month-long investigation Newsweek did to understand the current domestic security landscape and to evaluate what Biden's admin is doing about what it calls domestic terrorism. Most requested anonymity, of course. They were not authorized to talk publicly, reluctant to stray into partisan politics or feared repercussions. They also reviewed secret FBI and Department of Homeland Security data that tracks incidents, threats, investigations, and cases to try to build a better picture. Experts agree the current partisan environment is charged and uniquely dangerous with the threat not only of violence, but in most extreme scenarios, possibly civil war. FAFO folks. Many also question whether terrorism is the most effective way to describe the problem or the methods of counterterrorism developed over the past decade in response to things like Al-Qaeda. Oh, great. Now we're being compared to Al-Qaeda and other Islamist groups. Very nice. The current, <laughs> the current political environment is not something the FBI is necessarily responsible for, nor should it be. Yes, that according to Brian Michael Jenkins, one of the world's leading terrorism experts and senior advisor to the president of the RAND Corporation. Now listen to this statement from the FBI to Newsweek. The threat posed by domestic violent extremists is persistent, evolving, and deadly. The FBI's goal is to detect and stop terrorist attacks, and our focus is on potential criminal violations, violence, threats of violence, anti-government or anti-authority violent extremism, is one of the categories of domestic terrorism, as well as one of the FBI's top threat priorities. The White House refused to comment about this for Newsweek. The Trump campaign given an opportunity to comment, but they also chose not to. So, because you are a MAGA supporter and you believe in Oh, making America great again? You and I are now officially domestic terrorists. Please call your representative. Please call your congressman. Please let them know that you do not want this, you do not like this, and you are all in favor of dismantling the FBI parting out their work to other agencies. You don't have to cut the budget. Send that money off to other agencies. The FBI is broken beyond repair. And now, whether you like it or not, 
They are coming after you. You are in their sights. You got a MAGA in your profile on X or Facebook or wherever. You're on the list. I'm sure I'm on the list. Call your congressman. Let them know how you feel. It's the only way. It's the only way it's going to make any difference at all. Just like the southern border, which is, of course, back in the news because it just keeps getting worse. Now, 10,000. Every time we do this story, which is almost every day, the numbers get bigger. 10,000 illegals to arrive daily at the U.S. border, according to a warning from the Mexican president. Oh, yeah. You know, Mexico currently runs a program that transports migrants from its southern border across Mexico to our border, or what used to be a border. Look at this. Finally, there's a woman and a couple of, uh, are there any children there? I don't see children. I do see one woman. Mexican President Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador warned the U.S. will soon see 10,000 illegal immigrants per day arriving at the Mexico border. Partly due to about 6,000 illegal immigrants crossing from Guatemala into Mexico every day for the past week. 6,000. On October 2nd, according to the president of Mexico and the Associated Press, he criticized U.S. sanctions on nations like Cuba, Venezuela, two nationalities that make up a significant portion of this illegal immigrant flow. He's calling on the U.S. to remove blockades, stop harassing independent and free countries. There should be, quote, an integrated plan for cooperation so the Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, Ecuadorans, Guatemalans, and Hondurans will not be forced to emigrate. Stand by, folks. They're on the way. As many as 10,000 every single day. You ready for this? Doing all they can to change the face of the country. <laughs> and this story pops. The Biden administration has shifted its stance. Unbelievable. The U.S. waives 26 federal laws to allow border wall construction. You want to talk about too little, too late? What the hell were you doing two plus years ago, almost three now years ago, when you stopped it? You shut the border wall construction down. Not only that, but it's my understanding you guys have auctioned off a whole bunch of the materials that were laying rotting in the desert that were waiting to build into a wall. And now you've sold it off.
and now you want to go back to building a wall? Idiots. They declared Wednesday there was an immediate need to... Ex <laughs> this is just so absurd. An immediate need to expedite the construction of the U.S.-Mexico border walls in Starr County, Texas. DHS Moron Secretary Mayorkas said he will waive dozens of federal regulations, 26 in total, in order to fast-track the construction of roads and barriers along the southern border in Texas. They'll be built with the Border Patrol's Rio Grande Valley section. They were designated high illegal entry points, and construction efforts will focus on these locations. They sold off the material that was laying around and was going to be wall, and now suddenly they decided we, we could use a wall. Three years ago, you stopped Trump's wall. You idiots. Nobody's buying your crap. Too late, too little, sorry. New footage has come out of the illegals wrecking havoc in the southern border. This was just last night in El Paso, Texas. The border completely secure, according to the Biden White House. In this clip, wait till you see it. In this clip, you can hear the migrants chanting, Si se puede, which loosely translated means, yes, it can be done, or yes, you can. The number of encounters at the border already surpassed last year's total as they just continue to ignore the crisis. Take a look. This is frightening. have a country anymore folks it's gone look at that 10,000 every day our country as we know it is gone and what are they doing about it not a damn thing not a damn thing Oh, this is good. This is really good. People are standing up. People are fighting back. Remember what I said? What I always say? It's not a big war. It's little battles. It's taking tiny bites. Do one little thing to make a difference. This afternoon, do another little thing. Tomorrow, do another little thing. It's the little things that are going to add up. It's when a group of people get together and say, we're fed up. We're not putting it up, up with it anymore. 
We don't, you're not royalty. You work for us. We elected you. We vote. And we will vote your ass out of office if you don't listen to us. That's how the system is designed to work. You work for us. Deep Blue Chicago, their residents have a takeover city forum. The Democrat mayors try to set up a colony of illegal immigrants in the middle of the city. Well, they weren't having it. Take, take a, a look, look and take, take a, a listen. listen. See? Little bites. Every one of those people. You work for us. Don't let them forget it. Sit there on thy high horse acting like they're God. Insane. <clears throat> we spoke yesterday <clears throat> a little bit about Kevin Spacey and possibly him coming back since he has been found not guilty in both cases. Well, this was an interesting story from PJ Media. It's in our show notes tonight. You should read the whole thing. I'm just going to highlight it here, but it's an ex-Major League Baseball pitcher. If you're not following Major League Baseball or sports in general, I don't. You may not know Trevor Bauer, but he has exposed a jaw-dropping scheme of a Me Too ex uh, accuser. And it is a frightening story. On Monday, Bauer posted a video to X, breaking his two-year legally imposed silence due to allegations of sexual assault. What turned out to be just another under four-minute video posted to his verified X account. Bauer relayed his side of the story for the first time including screenshots of his accuser's own words and texts. Words and texts were written in the aftermath of the hashtag MeToo sexual assault hysteria whipped up by the left. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers, Bauer began reading a text written by his accuser, Lindsay Hill, the text sent to her friend before she even met Bauer. <laughs> Talk about premeditated. Bauer read on. These are her texts. What should I steal? Take his money, the friend replied. So, how might a enterprising, promiscuous young woman go about stealing money from a rather wealthy, young Major League Baseball player? Simple. During a sexual hookup, accuse him of assault. She writes, I'm going to his house Wednesday. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. This goes on and on and on and proves that it is just Another setup. As if to add insult to injury, one of Bauer's fellow baseball players seemed aware of the scheme. 
According to Bauer, former Padres pitcher Jacob Nix said, you've got to get this bag. I'll give you 50000 The morning of May 16, 2021, Hill put her plan in motion and accused Bauer of sexually assaulting her. Unbelievable. He was never arrested, never charged with a crime, won the only legal proceeding that took place without his side of the story even being heard. And most importantly, as he has said from day one, never sexually assaulted Lindsay Hill or anyone else for that matter. So I sued her and she countersued me. It wasn't about the money, it was about reputation and integrity. Good on you. This Me Too bullshit, do you know, do you know how many lives this has ruined? And this believe all women crap, remember that? Yeah. Wow. You should be frightened. You could be next. You know, it should be somebody famous. I mean, somebody like me, I've got no money anyway, so you can, it's blood from a stone, pal. You want to come after me? Good luck. <laughs> but beyond that, let's say you're the CEO of some big organization and you got a, you know, you got a little bankroll. Watch your ass. AI-dolatry, AI, it's worked its way into all our lives, and now it's worked its way into Sunday service. No, I'm not kidding. Here's a head shaker for you. It's kind of cool, but kind of frightening. A church in Texas has held a church service which was completely generated by an AI bot. Not kidding. On Sunday, Jay Cooper, who's the pastor of the Violet Crown City Church in Austin, presented the congregation with a service in which he used ChatGPT to create in its entirety. He used this prompt. Here's what he told ChatGPT. Create a Sunday morning worship service for church that values sharing life and belonging to one another, inclusivity for all, working for justice, and following in the way of Jesus. Include four familiar hymns or contemporary worship songs, a call to worship, pastoral prayer, children's message offering time, communion liturg uh, liturgy, and one original song to reflect the message of the sermon. The bot only created a 15-minute service, as opposed to the normal one, which would last a full hour. So he added some prompts, and it expanded the service. Now, before the service started, Cooper told the congregation the church was doing the service not as some gimmicky event or misguided attempt to be provocative, he said the purpose was to wrestle with the nature of truth. That's interesting. To understand how we see sacred, 
in our world. The question at hand was, what does it mean that God can and potentially will work through anything and anyone if we just open our eyes and our ears to experience it? Wow. So they generated this entire church service, hymns and all, and sermon, all generated from ChatGPT. How weird is that? And like the pastor said, good call to see how much we can accept and how much God is uh, in all aspects of our life. Interesting. All right. The newest way to kidnap you. Your car. Yeah, not what you think. A driver... <laughs> this is a great story. A driver has been kidnapped by his electric car, self-driving. It wouldn't stop. It wouldn't turn off. And there were no brakes. This is weird. There's the car. A terrified driver said his electric car had a mind of its own. Wouldn't brake, wouldn't turn off, wouldn't allow him to change gears, and it resulted in a self-inflicted crash to finally stop the car. This guy, Brian Morrison, said he was driving his MGZS electric SUV. It's a Chinese brand. Between 10 and 11 p.m., when the car suddenly took control of itself, driving 30 miles an hour, the car is manufactured by SAIC Motor, Chinese state-owned car company out of Shanghai. Morrison explained that he attempted to slow down while approaching a roundabout when the car suddenly just stopped responding. I was coming up to a roundabout, went to slow down and hit the brakes, and there were no brakes. I then quickly went to switch to the park button and the stop button, and they didn't work. All of a sudden, I had about nine different things come up on the dashboard here, telling me and then a warning to stop the car and drive safely. Well, the man said he quickly phoned his partner driving up ahead, who then turned back in his direction. The other driver stopped traffic at a nearby intersection to warn other motorists of the runaway Chinese vehicle. Miraculously, they cleared a path for Morrison, who was only able to uh, steer, avoiding any collisions, continued on his James Bond-like driving sequence. All he can do is steer the car. How fast they're going, the car is completely take, taken over. Anyway, 10 or 15 minutes after he called the cops, the authorities rolled up beside him and advised him to throw his remote key fob out the window. Police sergeant came up beside me, said, please throw your car key out the window into the police van. Now, the idea here is that if he gets far enough away from the fob from the car, the car will shut off. Of course, because the car had malfunctioned, that didn't work either. 
Then they had instructed Morrison to crash into the back of the police van to finally bring the car to a stop, which he did. Wow. Unbelievable. There's a video of this guy Morrison in this article explaining exactly what happened. But man, I'm telling you, talking about AI, wow. Frightening. Frightening. Hey, there's a new bill. You his, her, the, them, zizow, pronoun, goofball, morons. You're not going to be happy about this one. I am delighted. Vance bill would require your actual gender on your passport. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of this guy, but this is a good bill. J.D. Vance introduced legislation requiring a person's birth gender, their actual biological gender, to be listed on their passports. Not what you think you are, not what you feel like you are, not what you want to be this week, what you were born as. It's the Passport Sanctity Act requires the Secretary of State to ensure that all applications for passport, passport cards, or consular reports of birth abroad documentation include only the gender designation of male or female, prohibiting any passport documents that includes the unspecified X gender designation. So, as he says, we're through wasting our time. Good. Let's hope this bill passes. Call your representatives. Let them know that you are tired of it. You're not going to deal with it. The article is in our show notes. Check that out. Read the whole article about this bill. It's a brilliant, brilliant idea. Very good idea. Okay. Wow. I told you we had a jammed up show here, didn't I? <laughs> All right. Before we get on with our book, I got to tell you about one more little piece of business, and that is Field of Greens. Folks, nutrition nowadays, the life you lead, your lifestyle, you don't get enough sleep, you don't get enough nutrition, you don't get enough fruits and vegetables. Why? Because it's a pain in the ass. They are the key to healthy living. And I'll tell you what, take a look at this field of greens. Man, I'll tell you what, you put this in your daily routine, the next time you go into your doctor's for a checkup, he will be amazed, or she. Fruits and vegetables, the anchor of any healthy diet, but the reality is, it is a pain in the butt. You got to shop for them, you got to keep them, you got to prepare them, you got to hope they don't go bad before you get to them. And all that prep work and everything else, because it's just so much trouble, a lot of people just don't bother doing it, even though you know how important fruits and vegetables are to a healthy diet. Field of Greens is a science-backed formula of specific, healthy, wholesome fruits and vegetables, all ground up into an amazing-tasting powder. Mix it in with your favorite drink, green tea, orange juice, whatever, 
They are real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. You look on the package, it doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts because these are real USDA organic fruits and vegetables. They're not extracts. Several great tasty flavors. You can see some of them here on the screen. And Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition is just an incredible product. You will notice the difference. Give it a try. Check out the link in our show notes. That special link will get you an amazing offer from Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens, and the Jay Sheldon Show. There is a link in our show notes to check it out for Field of Greens. Man, this is good stuff. It will make a difference in your life, I promise you. Good stuff. All right, you ready for Lord of the Flies? Yeah, we read books on this show in the last part. Been doing it forever. And uh, we've gone through all kinds of great classic children's literature. Then we started in with George Orwell's 1984. And then we did Animal Farm. And now we're doing William Golding's 1954, Lord of the Flies. Man, what a great book. I'm fascinated. I'd never read this before until I'm reading it with you for the first time. We made it all the way up to chapter four which is called Painted Faces and Long Hair. The first rhythm that they became used to was the slow swing from dawn to quick dust. They accepted the pleasures of morning, the bright sun, the overwhelming sea and sweet air, as a time when play was good and life so full that hope wasn't necessary and therefore forgotten. Toward noon, as the floods of light fell more nearly to the perpendicular, the stark colors of the morning were soothed in pearl and opalescence, and the heat, as though the impending sun's height gave it momentum, became a blow that they ducked, running to the shade and lying there, perhaps even sleeping. Strange things happened at midday. The glittering sea rose up, moved apart in planes of blatantly impossibility. The coral reef and the few stunted palms that clung to the more elevated parts would float up into the sky, quiver, be plucked apart, run like raindrops on a wire, or be repeated as in an odd succession of mirrors. Sometimes land loomed where there was no land, flicked out like a bubble as the children watched. Piggy discounted all this learnedly as a mirage, and since no boy could reach even the reef over the stretch of water where the snapping sharks waited, they grew accustomed to these mysteries and ignored them, just as they ignored the miraculous throbbing stars. At midday, the illusions merged into the sky, and there the sun gazed down like an angry eye. Then, at the end of the afternoon, the mirage subsided. The horizon became level and blue and clipped as the sun declined. There was another time of comparative coolness, but menaced by the coming of the dark. When the sun sank, darkness dropped on the island like an extinguisher and soon the shelters were full of restlessness under the remote stars. Nevertheless, 
the Northern European tradition of work, play, and food, right through the day, made it possible for them to adjust themselves wholly to this new rhythm. The little and Percival had early crawled into a shelter and stayed there for two days, talking, singing, crying, till they thought him batty and were faintly amused. However, since then, he'd been peaked, red-eyed, and miserable. A little un who played little and cried often. The smaller boys were known now by the generic title of little uns. The decrease in size, from Ralph down, was gradual, and though there was a dubious region inhabited by Simon and Robert and Maurice, Nevertheless, no one had any difficulty in recognizing biggins at one end and littleins at the other. The undoubted littleins, who's aged about six, led a quite distinct and at the same time intense life of their own. They ate most of the day, picking fruit where they could reach it, and not particular about ripeness and quality. They were used now to stomach aches and a sort of chronic diarrhea. They suffered untold terrors in the dark, huddled together for comfort. Apart from food and sleep, they found time for play, aimless, trivial, in the white sand by the bright water. They cried for their mothers much less often than they might have been expected. They were very brown and filthy dirty. They obeyed the summons of the conch, partly because Ralph blew it, and he was big enough to be a link with the adult world of authority, partly because they enjoyed the entertainment of the assemblies. But otherwise, they seldom bothered with the biggins, and their passionately emotional and corporate life was their own. They built castles in the sand at the bar of the little river, these castles, about a foot high, decorated with shells, with flowers, and interesting stones. Around the castle, a complex of marks, tracks, walls, railway lines. They were of significance only if inspected with the eye at beach level. The little ones played here, if not happily, at least with absorbed attention. And often as many as three of them would play the same game together. They were playing here now. Henry was the biggest of them. He was also a distant relative of that other boy whose mulberry-marked face had not been seen since the evening of the great fire. But he was not old enough to understand this, and if he'd been told the other boy had gone home in an aircraft, he would have accepted that statement without fuss or disbelief. Henry was a bit of a leader this afternoon because the other two were Percival and Johnny, the smallest boys on the island. Percival was mouse-colored, hadn't been very attractive, even to his mother. Johnny was well-built, fair hair, natural belligerence. Just now he was being obedient because he was interested, and the three children kneeling in the sand were at peace. Roger and Maurice came out of the forest. They were relieved from duty at the fire, had come down for a swim. 
Roger led the way straight through the castles, kicking them over, burying the flowers, scattering the chosen stones. Maurice followed, laughing, and added to the destruction. The three little ones paused in their game and looked up. As it happened, the particular marks in which they were interested had not been touched, so they made no protest. Only Percival began to whimper with an eye full of sand, and Maurice hurried away. In his other life, Maurice had received chastisement of filling a younger eye with sand. Now, though, there was no parent to let fall a heavy hand. Maurice still felt the ease of wrongdoing. At the back of his mind formed the uncertain outlines of an excuse. He muttered something about a swim and broke into a trot. Roger remained watching the little ones. He wasn't noticeably darker than he was when he dropped in. But the shock of black hair down his nape and low on his forehead seemed to suit his gloomy face and make what had seemed at first an unsociable remoteness into something forbidding. Percival finished his whimper and went on playing, for the tears had washed the sand away. Johnny watched him with china-blue eyes and then began to fling up sand in a shower, and presently Percival was crying again. When Henry, tired of his play, wandered off along the beach, Roger followed him, keeping beneath the palms, drifting casually in the same direction. Henry walked at a distance from the palms in the shade because he was too young to keep himself out of the sun. He went down the beach, busied himself at the water's edge. The great Pacific tide was coming in, and Every few seconds, the relatively still water of the lagoon heaved forward an inch. There were creatures that lived in this last fling of the sea, tiny transparencies that came questing in with the water over the hot, dry sand. With impalpable organs of sense, they examined this new field. Perhaps food had appeared where the last incursion there had been none. Bird droppings, insects perhaps, any of the strewn detritus of landward life. Like a myriad of tiny teeth and a saw, transparencies came scavenging over the beach. This was fascinating to Henry. He poked about with a bit of a stick that itself was wave-worn and whitened and a vagrant, tried to control the motions of the scavengers. He made little runnels that the tide filled and tried to crowd them with creatures. He became absorbed beyond mere happiness as he felt himself exercising control over living things. He talked to them, urging them, ordering them, Driven back by the tide, his footprints became bays in which they were trapped, gave him the illusion of mystery. He squatted on his hams at the water's edge, bowed with a shock of hair falling over his forehead, past his eyes, and the afternoon sun emptied down invisible arrows. Roger, too, waited. 
At first, he'd hidden behind a great palm, but Henry's absorption with the transparencies was so obvious that at last he stood out in full view. He looked along the beach. Percival had gone off crying. Johnny was left in triumphant possession of the castles. He sat there crooning to himself and throwing sand at an imaginary Percival. Beyond him, Roger could see the platform, the glints of spray where Ralph and Simon, Piggy and Maurice were diving into the pool. He listened carefully, but could only just hear them. A sudden breeze shook the fringe of the palm trees so that the fronds tossed and fluttered. Sixty feet above Roger, several nuts, fibrous lumps as big as rugby balls, were loosed from their stems. They fell about him with a series of hard thumps, but he was not touched. Roger didn't consider his escape, but looked from the nuts to Henry and back again. The subsoil beneath the palm tree was a raised beach. Generations of palms had worked loose in this stone and that had lain on the sands of another shore. Roger stopped, picked up a stone, aimed, and threw it at Henry. Threw it to miss. The stone, that token of preposterous time, bounced five yards to Henry's right and fell in the water. Roger gathered a handful of stones and began throwing them. Yet there was a space round Henry, perhaps six yards in diameter, into which he dare not throw. Here, invisible yet strong, was the taboo of the old life. Round the squatting child was the protection of parents, school, policemen, and the law. Roger's arm was conditioned by a civilization that knew nothing of him and was in ruins. Well, Henry was surprised by the plopping sounds in the water. He abandoned the noiseless transparencies and pointed at the center of the spreading rings like a setter. This side and that the stones fell and Henry turned obediently but always too late to see the stones in the air. At last he saw one and laughed, looking for the friend who was teasing him. But Roger had whipped behind the palm again, was leaning against it, breathing quickly, his eyelids fluttering. Then Henry lost interest in stones and wandered off. Roger! Jack was standing under a tree about ten yards away when Roger opened his eyes and saw him. A dark shadow crept behind the swathness of his skin, and Jack noticed nothing. He was eager, impatient, beckoning, so that Roger went to him. There was a small pool at the end of the river, dammed back by sand and full of white water lilies and needle-like reeds. Here Sam and Eric were waiting and Bill, Jack, concealing the sun, knelt by the pool and opened the two large leaves that he carried. One of them contained white clay, the other red. By them lay a stick of charcoal brought down from the fire. Jack explained to Roger as he worked. 
They don't smell me. They see me. Something pink under the trees. He's smeared on the clay. If only I'd some green. He turned a half-concealed face up to Roger and answered the incoming incomprehension of his gaze. For hunting, like in the war, you know, dazzle paint, like, like things trying to look like something else. He twisted in the urgency of telling, like moths on a tree trunk. Roger understood and nodded gravely. The twins moved towards Jack and began to protest timidly about something. Jack waved them away. Shut up. He rubbed the charcoal stick between the patches of red and white on his face. No, you two come with me. He peered at his reflection and disliked it. He bent down, took up a double handful of lukewarm water and rubbed the mess from his face. Freckles and sandy eyebrows appeared. Roger smiled unwillingly. You don't look half a mess. Jack planned his new face. He made one cheek and one eye socket white. Then he rubbed red over the other half of his face and slashed a black bar of charcoal from the right ear to the left jaw. He looked in the pool for his reflection, but his breathing troubled the mirror. Samnerick, get me a coconut, an empty one. He knelt, holding the shell of water. A rounded patch of sunlight fell on his face, and a brightness appeared in the depths of the water. He looked in astonishment, no longer at himself, but at an awesome stranger. He split the water and leapt to his feet, laughing excitedly. Beside the pool, his sinewy body held up a mask that drew their eyes and appalled them. He began to dance, and his laughter became a bloodthirsty snarling. He capered towards Bill, and the mask was a thing on its own, behind which Jack hid, liberated from shame and self-consciousness. The face of red and white and black swung through the air and jigged towards Bill. Bill started up laughing, then suddenly fell silent, blundered away through the bushes. Jack rushed towards the twins. The rest are making a line. Come on, but we come on. I'll creep up and stab. The mask compelled them. Ralph climbed out of the bathing pool, trotted up the beach, and sat in the shade beneath the palms. And that's where we'll pop it off for tonight, today, and uh, I will uh, continue this on tomorrow's show. All right. Continue on with the William Golding's 1954 Lord of the Flies. What a great book. All right. Thanks so much. Hey, don't forget, please hit that follow button over here. I really appreciate it. Also, you can join us over on our Locals channel. We'll be posting. I just started today. We got one exclusive subscriber-only video. <clears throat> this little preview I did earlier tonight. You'll get some behind-the-scenes stuff, some little thought patterns in my wacky, wonderful, warped, moldy world. 
and uh, it'll way to uh, bring you something extra over there for your subscriptions on Locals. Check that out if you like. All right, enjoy the rest of your day, and I will see you again tomorrow. Not that one, this one.